Ah, oh, summertime. Everybody been away on vacation yet? Well, that's good. This is an incredible time, isn't it? We get to go out and enjoy nature like we've never seen it for at least a year. We get away from all those problems and difficulties we have through the week and the year. We recharge our batteries and we get all restored. And you know what we're doing? We're restoring our soul deep inside of us. Now, for me, that happens to be sailing. I can't sail anymore because my, well, my physical well-being isn't very good at it. And so I have to forget that. But one thing I can do, I can remember what it was like and relive those moments. For me, sailing is the most natural and wonderful thing I could possibly do. Sailing into the wind and enjoying the joy and the wonder of nature itself. Feeling the wind in my face and fluttering in the sail. When you actually get things set just right in the sailboat, you're flying along and the boat begins to sing. The centerboard chatters. And the wind runs through the rigging in such a way that it, it's like a philharmonic orchestra. It's so gorgeous. You sit back and the boat just steers itself and you can simply, ah, as you see the wind hitting the water, hitting the sail, and smelling the smells of the water and the land nearby. Boy, do I get a charge out of that. Any other sailors in our community here? Ah, some sailors. Yeah. Well, did I do a good job? Good. Yeah. Sailors are sailors. Don't confuse us with those other guys that drive boats around with motors and what have you. We like to do it au naturel. But one thing I've learned in sailing is it's very much like living the Christian life. I love to sail because it recharges my soul. My soul is that outward part of me and my spirit that engages the world I live in. It's the way it affects my, my sight, my, my mind, my, my sensations, my body in every way. My soul gets enervated or it can become depressed. It can be torn down because of neg negative experiences or difficulties. My soul rises and falls based on the experience of life itself. But one thing we have as Christians is we have the Spirit of God living in us. And we have to learn to set our soul not upon the winds of this world, but upon the winds of the Holy Spirit living in our spirit. God is spirit and so are we, and we come together and are bound together in our spirit. And so therefore we have to learn to get our jollies, if you will, the encouragement, the strength, the wisdom, the ability to live in this life not from the things of this world, but from the things of God, who is the source of life and the power of creation. Well, we begin this by focusing, as Paul has told us, in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, a very important thing. We need to set our compass towards God himself. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, isn't that what we celebrate when we were baptized? That we die in ourselves, and we're raised up with Christ, and our life is now in Christ? Well, to set our soul into the Spirit of God is to enter into God himself and to be part of him, to be encased in him, to be embodied in him. And therefore, we derive all the qualities of God himself for ourselves. Well, how do we do that? Well, that's what our scripture is about today. You may not recognize it, but in Proverbs 3, Verses 5 through 7, we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Wow. There's a lot in there. We begin in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. To me, that means trust Jesus above all else. Trust in nothing else but God. Does that mean there's nothing else we can trust? No, of course not. But when it comes to trusting primarily in God, regardless of what else we may trust in, God has priority. And he's the one we lean on, whatever else he gives us in this world and this life that we might also trust in. The story goes with a fellow on vacation, and he comes to this beautiful canyon. It's beautiful with all kinds of trees. It's about 700 feet deep and gorgeous rivers running through it. It's, it's, it's marvelous. It's glorious. He gets so enraptured by it, he, he starts walking up to the edge of this valley, and he gets so caught up, and he, he begins to slip, and, and pretty soon, well, he's over the edge. And as he's going over the edge, he grabs onto a branch. And he's dangling in midair, holding onto this branch. This is a bad thing. He can't pull himself up. He can't move any which way. And straight down is disaster. And so he calls out. He says, is there anybody up there that can help me? Anybody. I need help. Help. Anybody can help me. The boy comes over the top and says, I can help you. I am the Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you. Oh, get me out of this. Get me out of this. Okay. Let go of the branch. You've heard this before. <laughs> Let go of the branch. You've got to be kidding me. Let go of the branch. Who are, they? Who, who are you again? I am the Lord. Let go of the branch and I will save you. Oh, I can't do that. I know what's going to happen to me. Is there anybody else up there? Well, my friends, I've described us in relationship to God. We hold on to so many things in this life for our well-being that we trust them so implicitly that take them away from us and we feel like we're in 
certain peril. Things are simply going to fail. It could be a person or a group of people. It could be an ideology. It could even be a religious belief or faith. It could be a government. It could be an army. It could be anybody or anything. What do we have trust in for our well-being and our welfare? Some of us are addicted to substances of different kinds, and we've relied upon them until they've finally taken hold of us and we can't get free of them again. Some of us are addicted to our wealth and well-being, maybe our home, maybe our spouse, maybe our kids. Whatever it is, without them, we are lost. We all trust in something in this life that's so meaningful to us. That's the way we're built. That's who we are. And when our soul is so wrapped up in the things of this world that we learn to trust and hope in and hold on to, then we have to realize that we, first of all, and according to the Scripture, trust in the Lord above all else. So we have to take ourselves 180 degrees from looking at the things of this world to looking to the things of God and His Spirit. Trust means to feel safe and be at peace deep in our soul. To learn to be supported by our own insights and perspectives of events we experience or learn from others is our natural way of doing business. It's hard when we become Christians to learn to trust God despite of our circumstances or the situations we're facing or the problems we're dealing with. It's hard to do that because we've learned to do them in our own way or trust in others to bring us through. But to not do that, but to look to God first and have him work out the details, for him to bring us through, for him to give us the strength, for him to give us the ability, for him to give us the wisdom and the guidance in order to do it, it means we have to trust him. Now the problem with trust, it starts very slowly. It's like our faith. Faith is the substance of the, the uh, conviction, the substance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. That means we don't see it. We don't see it the way it is. And it's like this little rope bridge that we see in front of us. We first look at it and say, there's no way I'm going across that thing. I put myself on that and it begins to sway back and forth and wiggle waggle and I, I'm going to be in that gorge. But we try, and we struggle, and we take that first step. And pretty soon, after a few crossings, we're taking it for granted, and we're just like the natives. We're going across that bridge like, hey, I can do this. I believe I can trust this thing. Well, that's our faith growing in trust. What is trust? Trust is faith in action. What we have faith in, we trust it enough to use it. In my early 30s, I was an engineer living in York, Pennsylvania with a young family. I had just become a Christian, and I was meeting a lot of new people and become part of a brand new church that was booming out of the ground with new people coming to Christ. It was a time of revival, and the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful and awesome way, and it was incredible. And I was caught up in that with my wife and my family. 
And after about four or five, maybe six months, as much as that was wonderful and great in and of itself, and my new relationship with God in Jesus Christ, I was very unhappy with my job. I couldn't take it anymore. I needed something else. Well, what did I do? Well, I complained. Then I put my resume out. No, I couldn't get to my sailboat. I complained and put my resume out and got an offer out in Indianapolis, which was quite a distance west from where we were living. So we flew out there and we had an interview and, well, I really couldn't tell, you know, whether we wanted to do this or not. It was very compelling and it sounded good, had a lot of good points to it, but there was nothing inside that was saying this is the right thing. And so we asked if we could have another day to consider what's being offered to us. They said, fine, but first of all, we want you to work with a realtor to get in and see if you can find a home. We want you to get out here as quickly as you can. I said, okay, we'll do that. So the next morning, we woke up. It was a cloudy, rainy day. And Deb and I decided, well, we'll put out a fleece. God will decide and show us whether this is something we should do or not. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. What we'll do is we'll ask God that he would sh- the realtor would show us the d- house of our dreams, the most beautiful place we could ever imagine. One would just say, that's our home. And the other thing is, it has to be in sunlight. Well, if you're, you're going to make it a fleece, you may as well make it pretty tough, right? And that way we'd know this is what we should do or not do. Well, sure enough, we go out and we start looking at homes and then we come up this one house and clouds move away and the sun comes booming down and, whoa, this place was magnificent from the outside. We get in the house and, ooh, 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 this is the place, this is the place. Yes, we want it. Signed on the house, said, yes, we'll take the job. Two weeks later, I'm starting the job. I come in on Monday morning. They weren't ready for me. Oh, okay, well, what am I going to do? Well, uh, here's some brochures, here's some other things you have to fill out, and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get to you. By Wednesday, nothing had changed. I hadn't even met my boss. I had no idea what was going on. And so I called up Deb, and I said, Honey, this isn't working. I'm scared. I walked around the neighborhood. This is a scary place. I don't want to work here. I don't want to be here. I was all upset. Well, I went in Thursday and got to meet my boss, and he wasn't that much more encouraging, saying, well, we're on a project right now, and I can't let you know what it is. It's proprietary, and so we have to wait a little bit longer. Well, this did not sit well at all. Called up Deb Thursday night, and she said, John, my ex-boss, said I can get back to work and just take the whole week as a week of vacation, as if you'd never left. So I go in on Friday and I tell my new, my new boss, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stay. I got my old job back and I'm leaving. Well, he spent the rest of the day trying to convince me to stay and give me all kinds of incentives and, you know, please stay, please stay, please stay. And I'm saying, no way, Jose. That night when I drove back to York, all through the night, the further I got away from Indianapolis, I could feel all the stress, all the anguish, all the difficulties fade away. And the closer I got 
to York, Pennsylvania, I could see all my friends in the church that we've just come, come into. I could see my job and all my workmates and everything that I've been doing there. And I said, boy, it's good to be home again. Yay, I'm really great. Why did I want to leave in the first place? And I said, well, what's that got to do with trust? Well, the problem with trust is, if you're going to trust God, you don't tell him what he's going to do. You listen to what he's going to tell you. If you want to really know what he's, what's on his mind, ask him, and he'll be glad to tell you. You tell him what's on your mind and tell him to validate that, he'll say, okay, fine. You want to be your own boss? I'll give you something to think about. You're not trusting me. You're trusting yourself. Your feelings, your emotions, your, your ideas, your, whatever's going on in your head. And what we learned is that when you put out a fleece, you normally get fleeced. Because you're looking to the external circumstances of life in order to validate what you wish to be true. You may as well take some dice and throw them, and if you get the lucky number, then you win. Well, how good is that in Las Vegas? How often do you win? Trusting God means that regardless of what you do, you do not set the terms, you listen to God, and you trust him implicitly and explicitly in every way possible. Well, I begin by trusting God above any and all other things. And we set our hearts and our soul and our whole being towards God. We have to receive what he has to give us. We need to become dependent upon him. I know you guys know all this stuff. I'm just reminding us. I need to be reminded of it. But I need to recognize that unless I am thinking this way, things fall apart in a hurry. Verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This means to know fully Christ's awesome presence. This word acknowledge is not giving him a nod and saying, Hi, I, I know you're there. No, this word in the Hebrew means to know him intimately, to have a living relationship with him, to know him in the most absolute ways, to look at him, to know him in way, learn who he is, because as he is, so are we in this world. If we want to see ourselves, we see ourselves in him, not our old self, our new self, who he's making us to be. So get to know him and understand who he is. First John 5, 20, John says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. The key word in there is in, when we're living in him and he is able to absorb us, that we are resting in him. We are associating so intimately with him and almost has a sexual connotation of intimacy and closeness and a bond of unity. He alone will allow us to live in his presence. And since he's taken up residence in our lives, because we have surrendered our life, given up title to a deed of our property, and said, Lord, we belong to you. You are my God and my master. Therefore, now you will give me the life that you've chosen for me, which is the very life of Christ himself. Well, a year later, <clears throat> after my fiasco in Indianapolis, 
I um, had grown quite a bit. I was reading Scripture constantly. I was studying Scripture constantly, constantly involved in Bible studies, home groups, you name it, sitting under some incredible Bible teachers. I was just, I, it was insatiable. I couldn't get enough of Scripture. And so I was reading everything that was theological, everything that was biblical, everything that was sound, and I was having it reflected back and forth among those who were meeting with in prayer groups, and we'd pray for one another and worship together, and we'd learn from one another, and we'd also work together in understanding the Scriptures. And even beyond that, I was involved in prison ministry. You want to see an exciting thing is, is go into a prison and see a bunch of hardened men come to faith in Christ and see the place come alive. Wow. You want to talk about increasing your faith. There's a place to see your faith increased. And so my life had changed tremendously. Well, one day, as I normally do, I uh, left my office and went to a small park not too far from where I worked, <clears throat> right along the Susquehanna River, not far from Three Mile Island power plant that had a problem in the 80s. And I normally go on, on my lunchtime and I would memorize a scripture and meditate on it and be with the Lord. Well, this day was no agenda in my head. I just went and I sat on the swing set and I was sitting there sort of rocking around and I felt myself just going almost like into prayer. I felt myself going into like a dark place. And I went down lower and lower, and then I began to sob. I began to sob and cry out inside, deep inside of me. And I said, oh Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to use me, Lord. I want to be of service to you. I was just sobbing so deeply. Well, I don't know how long that went on, but <clears throat> next thing I remember, I was next to the swing set looking out in this field. It was all loaded with bu yellow buttercups. It was gorgeous. Nice blue puffy sky. It was gorgeous. And the Lord was right here. And he said, David, look. And I looked, and I saw a great big white clabbered New England church. I'm living in York, Pennsylvania. You don't have churches like that there. And alongside the church was a big, tall window, narrow, clear glass. And I'm looking in that glass, and there I am in a black robe, standing at a pulpit, and I'm speaking. Well, coming right from the depths of my being. Nothing going on up here. This is sort of a, a dead space. Inside of me comes up, oh, Lord, no. He said, David, look. Same thing. He says, oh, Lord, not me. Oh, no. David, look. Now, there's nothing going on, but out of me comes, yes, Lord. Yes. Okay. Next thing I know, I'm laughing and crying. I'm down on my knees. I'm swirling around. I'm, they, if anybody's watching me, I was a crazy person. I probably had to go get a net. At any rate, I'm standing along the Susquehanna River and saying, that was incredible. What was that all about? 
Now, I know what you would do after hearing that, right? You go home and tell your spouse. You go tell somebody, right? Wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't tell a soul what happened to me that day. Not a soul. I did. Debbie never heard about it until some time later. So months go by, and I was meeting with my boss and a, a friend in an industrial park. We met once a month on a Monday, and we would pray together. And this one day, my friend stopped, and they said, you know, Dave, we've been talking, and we believe that God is calling you into ministry. Do you know anything about that? And I said, huh, funny you should say. So I told him the story. I said, well, I think I need to do something about that. Came home, and Debbie finally heard about it. Within a couple of months, I was at Gordon-Conwell going to seminary some 40-odd years ago. Now, what's the difference? Well, besides, instead of going west to Indianapolis, I went east to New England, 180 degrees from where I was going. Instead of something that came from within me, in my brain, it came within me from God. This thing was bypassed. This thing was bypassed. That was a spiritual event. Now, I could talk of many others that have occurred in my life, but I'm saying this is how God works. That's rather dramatic, but that was for a purpose. Because to go from engineering into pastoral ministry when you weren't even thinking about it and had no idea it was a possibility, you have to be convinced somehow. And to go in a place that you're not familiar with to minister among people that you don't know anything about, that takes a lot too. But that's what God does when he speaks to us from the inside out. So therefore, to really know him is to lead him to be able to speak to us and to move within us personally, and because we're hearing his voice and used to hearing his voice and know who he is and what he's capable of, we can respond accordingly. Not in our strength, not by our abilities, not by anything that we possess or anybody else around us. And so, yes, we begin by trusting him. Next thing, we get to know him personally. But then... We come to verse 7. Now we're living in troublous times. And we have to live in the real world. And difficulties come up from time to time. And gets our eyes and our soul away from the things of God and begin to focus on the things upon this planet. And because God has been so much a part of our lives, we think, hey, I can do this. I got it within myself. I can do this. God's taught me a lot of things. Now, it's up to me to go and do them, right? Yeah, well, you know, we're not really very good at handling problems that we're not equipped to handle. It's hard to, 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 to try to deal with life when we're afraid and we're, we're constantly in fear and we're always trembling and complaining and, and griping and, and, and mumbling to ourselves. Living in fear. That's a signal that we're not heading into the Spirit of God. We're off sailing into the winds of the world. And that's what verse 7 is all about. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
that to me means respect the wisdom of the Spirit of Christ and nothing else. Respect the wisdom of Christ. To fear means to have the deepest respect, in this case, for God. It's in contrast. It's in contrast to fearing something else, to respecting something else apart from God. And you and I both know that our faith is tested from time to time. It's where we learn to trust God in the midst of those problems. Not when it's nice and easy and convenient and loving and caring, but in the midst of our difficulties, that's when we really have to see how wide our bridge is and how strong it is our faith. Wisdom, you see, means to make the soundest and wisest and most profound course of action. But see, we have the light of wisdom in our souls, in Christ. If we rely upon the light and the wisdom that is in the world, then we're living like God's creation. When you look at the sun, it shines upon the planets. The planets can only reflect the light of the sun. They don't emit their own light. Without the sun, they're in total darkness. Well, that's God's creation. Without the sun, there is no creation that's visible. We know that God is the light of the world in Jesus Christ. And that light is living inside of us. And therefore, we have to realize that we need to allow that light that is within us to emerge. Well, see, the problem is that Jesus is like a rushing river. He's not a reservoir or a a pond that gathers and sits there and festers He's a flowing spirit, a flowing power, a flowing grace, a flowing movement. And we are merely vessels for him to flow through, not to stagnate and be held in place. Jesus was under threat by the Jewish leaders. And his disciples were learning that they were going out to get him and kill him. And they were afraid of them because Those leaders could throw them out of the temple. They could actually have them stoned. And this is very threatening to them. And so their early faith in him was being threatened severely. And so Jesus in response says in Luke 12, 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, there's nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is referring that this husk in our body may be wounded or destroyed, but it's going to be eventually anyways. But the real us, our soul and spirit, is eternal. That's who we are. And that's what he has come to redeem. And so anybody that might threaten us or anyone else of faith may kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. And those without that life in them 
without the Spirit of God in them, they lose it all. They had nothing. But we have the Spirit of God. I love the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Remember how that story goes? Maybe some of our young folks should come up and tell us the story. But there came a time where Nebuchadnezzar had this big golden idol placed up in his court. And everybody was commanded to come and worship at a certain time as they were called to worship. And Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego, they weren't going for this at all. They weren't going to worship this idol. And so they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, are you going to bow? Are you going to worship this? And he says, no, we're not. We don't care what you do to us. You can throw us in the fiery furnace. That's all right. And God may redeem us, or he may not. But we will not worship your idol. Into the furnace they go. Nebuchadnezzar knows, my goodness, the Lord God himself is in there with them. Brings them out of the fiery furnace. They don't even smell a smoke. Good grief. But what's amazing is this. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 3, 28 and 29. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Boy, Nebuchadnezzar got the message, didn't he? A lot different than Pharaoh. And what are we learning from this? Whatever threat we live under by those who may threaten or challenge our faith, for those who may counter with other philosophies or other theologies or whatever else may be going on that says, no, your God is a phony God, a weak God, an impossible God. I don't see him doing anything in your life, so he can't mount anything. Then we can look to the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because we have something they didn't have. We have God living in us. They live by their faith and they trusted him with what they had. We have the living God, who is the source for our strength, our well-being, our welfare. But God doesn't want us to hold it inside. He wants us to be points of light in the world. He wants to reveal himself through us. He wants to glorify himself so that all may see and know him. We're not planets that he's reflecting off of. We are sources of the sun himself glowing into the world and showing the power and grace and glory and majesty of God himself. He is there to pour through us. 1 John 4, 4, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And in verse 17, as he is, so also are we in this world. He is alive in us. He wants to break through and make a difference in our world. He has the answers he will give us those answers and how to respond to the darkness that pervades our communities, our world, and all the rest. Is it political? Might be, but I don't think so. How do you live in the midst of misery, terror, anguish, hatred? How do you live in the midst of all of that? 
I don't have time to get into that. All I can say is, let God prove himself. Let go and let God. Give up whatever we're holding on to that keeps God from moving in our life. Let go of whatever is keeping us from trusting God implicitly and explicitly in all of the concerns and affairs of our life. Whatever we're hoping in and trusting in, let go of it. Get to know Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, intimately in all your ways. And then minister and serve to his glory. Let him loose. Let him go. By trusting him, he will use you accordingly every day. My friends, maybe you're somewhere in this mix and you'd like to do something about it. Well, if you'd like to come forward and, 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 and stand at the altar and pray, or if you just want to, uh, where you are, you're seated, offer yourself to God. Say, God, come into my life. Use me as you desire. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your grace. If you want to come forward for prayer of any kind, whatever be suitable to you, please do so. This is your time and opportunity to work with the grace of God.